Hi there, and welcome to the Grief and Rebirth podcast. I'm your host, author and trauma survivor, Irene Weinberg, here to encourage you wherever you are in your healing journey. In each episode, I chat with incredible grief and trauma specialists, healers, mediums, and celebs, as well as remarkable people who have inspiring healing stories to share. If you're looking for a podcast that's both uplifting and inspiring, you've found it. Let us help you find your joy in life. Hey, everyone. Welcome once again to Grief and Rebirth Podcast, whose mission is to educate, enlighten, and provide healing choices through interviews with grief and trauma specialists, healers, mediums, and people who have inspiring stories to share. I'm Irene Weinberg, the creator and host of Grief and Rebirth Podcast, with a loving reminder that you can see the full show notes and all Grief and Rebirth Podcast episodes on irenweinberg.com. And make sure to follow us and like us on social at, at Irene S. Weinberg on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Today's interview with Julie Ryan is going to be fascinating. Julie is an inventor, an entrepreneur, and a businesswoman. She has invented surgical devices that have sold throughout the world. She has also founded several companies in the medical, natural gas, advertising, long-term care, compliance, and data breach prevention industries. But here comes a surprise. Julie is also a medical intuitive, an energy healer, a psychic, and a medium. I just read Julie's remarkable book called Angelic Attendance, What Really Happens as We Transition from This Life into the Next. In her book, Julie shares what she has learned about the dying process, including detailed descriptions of the 12 phases of transition we each experience. Julie, Welcome to the Grief and Rebirth podcast. I have absolutely no doubt that this interview is going to provide many of our listeners with the answers to questions they've always wanted to ask. So let's begin our interview with this question. Please briefly tell us about your early, more traditional years before you very surprisingly changed course. Well, thanks so much for having me, Miss Irene. What a delight to get to be on your show and get to talk with you and have you all to myself for a little bit of time. Well, kind of with people listening, but I feel like, you know, all to myself. So thanks so much for the invitation. What, how I describe this to people is I say, I'm an inventor and a businesswoman who learned how to do woo-woo. And I'm a buffet of psychicness. <laughs> they, they laugh and they, they look at me kind of like Scooby-Doo when he would tilt his head in the cartoon and he'd say, what? <laughs> say, what? <laughs> so, so I am a, uh, you know, just a regular gal who, who has gotten to do lots of fun things in my life. I'm a mom and a, and a step-grandmother and a soon-to-be step-great-grandmother. Somebody said to me, how can that be? And I said, well, my stepson was born when I was in fifth grade. So that's how that works. But yeah, I, I've been, I got interested in 
medical intuitive and psychic stuff. In about 25, 26 years ago, Irene, when a girlfriend gave me a book to read, and it was by Carolyn Mays, who called herself a medical intuitive. And I thought, what the heck is that? I had never heard that term before. And I had always been in the medical industry, not from a provider side of the equation, but more from the supply side. And certainly, as an inventor, I'm looking to come up with ways to help people heal. So I was interested in what's a medical intuitive and how does it work? So I read Carolyn's book and then I wanted to know more information. And I, back then we didn't have Amazon yet and the internet wasn't that big of a deal yet. Believe it or not, it's hard to imagine that that ever was the case, isn't it? It is, but I can relate to that very much. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I went to a bookstore to see what else was out there and I found a book by a, a woman who's a former NASA physicist named Barbara Brennan, and the book's called Hands of Light. And she took very complex quantum physics theories and principles and parlayed them into understand, understandable language for the non-scientific mind, that would be me, and talked about how to use energy fields to help facilitate healing. And I was so fascinated after reading her book that I called her school And I said, do you have anybody, perhaps a graduate who's teaching in my area? And sure enough, they did. And so I studied with that woman for six years and I'm still very close to her, see her or talk to her at least once a month. And, and it's gone from there. So that's how it all came about. Wow. Well, how did prodding, now I know there's a story that you have about a dead pope. And has inspiring yeah. you to pursue your current calling as a medical intuitive. I mean, there's nothing not colorful about you, Julie. Uh, your current calling is a medical intuitive, an energy healer, a psychic, and a medium. You even had intervention from a pope. So, and as well as inspiring you to write your book, that's that's pretty good. So, you oh, know. That story. <laughs> oh, it was it was hilarious, and he's still my main spirit guide. I when I'm with Susan, my teacher. And I see her usually once a month, certainly once a quarter. And I, I zap on people all over the world and do healings on them. And, and she's the only one that does them on me. And so I was in her office laying on a massage table and she was doing a healing on me. And when that happens, my deceased loved ones are on either side of the table. Irene, if you can imagine that, my parents and my grandmother and my sister and other family and friends who are loved ones that are deceased. And one day this, this Pope's spirit showed up and I said well hello there who are you and he said and he had his whole pope outfit on I read it was hilarious uh, the hat the shepherd's staff you know the best you could clearly see him you could she could, oh see, my God. Him. could see him oh yeah Susan could see him too my teacher and so I said well who are you and he said well I'm Clement and I said there was a pope Clement and he said he was laughing and he said yeah I was number six and I said, Susan, I never heard of Pope Clement. He goes, yeah, whatever. So he said, yeah, I was number six. And I said, okay, well, may I help you? I'm kind of like, why are you here? And he said, if you would just educate the world about what happens when somebody's dying and how it's a glorious event, then that would be wonderful because that's part of your destiny. And the sooner you choose to do it, the better off you're going to be. And all your business stuff has prepared you for this. And he's going on and on. And I said to him, I read, I said, 
I'm not doing that. You don't understand. I'm a businesswoman. Oh, I'm debating <laughs> with this dead pope, this spirit of this pope. So he goes, yeah, yeah, I know that. But but everything you've done has prepared you for this work. And part of this work is for you to educate the masses that it's not scary to die. Right. And I said, yeah, well, okay, whatever. So he left, I left, and I'm in the car getting ready to drive home. And I Googled just for kicks, Pope Clement the Sixth. And I got that he was in office during the bubonic plague when two thirds of Europe died. And he's best known for his prayers for the dying and his prayers for the dead. And I thought, Ryan, you just can't make this stuff up. (laughs) It's not, especially I'd never heard of a boat Clement before. And it took me several years to get the golden ovary courage, Irene, to to release the book. Because I thought, oh, my God, people are going to think I am absolutely nuts, that I've lost my mind and going to affect my business life. It's going to affect my companies and blah, 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 blah. So I finally got enough courage to do that and release it. And it's been so well received. And something I didn't see coming, Irene, on angelic attendance is it's being used in Sunday school classes around the country, being used in synagogues as part of their reading list. No. And my church, I'm practicing Catholic, born and raised Catholic. My church gives my book to every family who comes in to plan a funeral. Wow. So I didn't see that coming at all, but it, yeah, it's a nice. That's amazing. I know. I've had a couple of them email me over the years and say, is this appropriate for us? And I said, yeah. Do you have people that die? <laughs> yeah. So I said, yeah, it is. And so it spreads. Yeah. It's being, cause it, it, it has a Catholic lens, but that's just the lens I look through because that's what I'm used to. And, you know, it would be like if I was raised a Buddhist or a atheist or a whatever, I would look through that lens. And so it's, that's really been a fun thing that's come out of publishing this book. That's amazing. Well, speaking of the lens you're looking through... I also know that you've seen things through the Jewish lens because you had experiences with Kabbalah, which is a form oh, yeah. of favorite Jewish mysticism that centers on relationship and how we communicate one soul to another. Could you talk right. about that, Julie? Yeah, I learned. I studied Kabbalah for three years and Kabbalah in healing as much as anything. And uh, the Kabbalah is so powerful the Jewish mysticism, Irene, you know this, that it it was only taught to rabbis over the age of 40 who were married. And I thought, okay, I'm a Catholic gal under 40 who I got the married thing, but I'm not, you know, I'm not a man, I'm not a rabbi, and I'm not 40 when I first started studying it. And it's it's these powerful healing techniques and that transfer of energy. And it's so powerful that it's not written. It's only it's only passed on orally. And there are lots of schools of thought that believe in the New Testament when Jesus, it's kind of like it, the New Testament breaks off when Jesus is about 12 and then picks back up when he's 30. And during those years in his 20s, he was in Egypt and other places. And there are many schools of thought that believe that he was taught Kabbalistic healing, and that that was part of what helped him perform his miracles, 
when he was alive. And I, and I believe that that is the case. I believe it's certainly feasible. And when I asked the question, was Jesus taught Kabbalistic healing techniques, I get, I get a yes every time I ask the question. Which is fascinating to me because, you, because as a Jewish person, um, when I first wrote my book, um, you know, they serve bagels in heaven. I had had it channeled and I went to my rabbi at the time. And this was, you know, quite a while ago. And I went to my rabbi and I said, you know, there are a lot of references to past lives uh, on a kibbutz in Israel and all of that. And I'd really love you to read the book. And he basically got very, and again, this was a few, quite a few years ago before spirituality was getting more mainstream. And I was also afraid that people were going to think I was cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. So I was looking mm -hmm. for the endorsement from a rabbi and he said, I won't even read it because this kind of information should only be for a man who's over 40, special kind of thing. Mm -hmm. oh, my God. No kidding. Yeah. No kidding. So that yeah. correlates with that Kabbalah thing. Huh? Fascinating. That's, yeah. Funny. Yeah. That's amazing how far we have come. <laughs> Let me ask you this. As a medical intuitive, Julie, how do you see a person's medical conditions and illnesses? What do they look like to you? And can you give us an example of helping a person using your gift? Sure. They look like an x-ray. It's like I'm a human MRI, Irene. I, um, I see body parts. I see broken bones, torn ligaments, diseased organs. I can see cancer. I can see if it's metastasized to other parts of the body. I, I watch um, all kinds of things that show up that would show up on an x-ray or an MRI or a CT scan. And sometimes I see things in the body that aren't showing up yet on the scans. And I'll say, okay, I can see that this cancer is metastasized to your bone or your lungs or whatever. And, and the person with whom I'm talking will say, well, no, I just had a PET scan and it, it came out clear. And I said, okay, well, that's just what I'm seeing. And then they'll contact me a month later or something. I'll say, well, you were right. They did a subsequent scan and it's showing up. So I, I always see these things, but most importantly, once they're identified, then I watch energetic healings happen. And it always starts right after something's identified. And it can take the place of something getting added, something getting removed. I watch energetic healings happen that emulate what I saw in operating rooms for all those decades when I was developing surgical devices and testing prototypes and, you know, stuff like that. Do you perform the energetic healing? Is it, does it come through you to the person or how does that work? Like you've now identified something. So it says, oh my God, please get that out of me. And then, and then, it, or does the energetic healing get, get performed later on? How does that work, Julie? No, it happens real time right then when I'm on the phone. Normally 99.9% .9 of the people with whom I work on a, on anything, it's done via phone or Skype if they're abroad, but it's, it's instant. And so I describe to them in detail what I'm watching happen. And it, if they can envision what I'm seeing in my mind's eye, Irene, it helps integrate it into the body, helps the healing. So I believe it's spirit working through me. Certainly, I don't believe that I'm the one doing it. I believe that I'm the I'm the conduit, and it's spirit working through me. But it but I understand what Pope Clement talked about and still does because he's still my main spirit guide and he prides me still. Where he said everything you've done is to prepare you for this work because 
like I said, so many of the healings will emulate what I see in what I saw in operating rooms. Sometimes I'll see healings that utilize methodologies and devices that haven't been invented yet. And I have an advisory group of surgeons and physicians and geneticists and therapists that I'll call when I'll, and I'll say, I'm seeing this. Does this make any sense to you? Especially if I see it more than one time. And they'll say, yeah, in some instances, I had one a geneticist tell me um, this is a hypothesis. There are five institutes studying it right now. Nobody has seen it. Nobody can prove it. And there's no way in hell you would know about it. And I said, well, obviously I do because I just described it to you. But it's almost as if when those healings come in and then I'll subsequently see them several other times with other clients, it's almost like you keep reaching higher and higher levels of healing abilities. And I think it's endless of what we all have the capability to do ourselves. I myself have worked with an energy healer in my life and it really if if the person is good like you are and they have integrity, it can make a huge difference in your life. It's really fabulous. So let me ask you what it's like to see energy fields and facilitate energy healings, which you're sort of just talking about. But I mean, mm-hmm. you talk about your spirit guide. So for those who are listening to us who are like, what's a spirit guide? Could you explain a little bit about that and how that works, Julie? And since we're talking about energy healings. I know that you have written a new book um, that touches on that and it's geared towards kids. So there's a lot of pieces to this question, but <laughs> start and go for yes. it. Yeah, my new book is called Angel Messages for Kids and it's coming out next week, Irene. I wanted it out in time for the holidays. <laughs> it's gonna be close, but it's gonna be out before the holidays. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it's it's Based on all of this, you know, what's an energy field look like where spirits attached to a body having a human experience and what happens when a loved one dies and why is it that children can see spirits sometimes when mommy and daddy can't see them and how is it that little children oftentimes will tell their parents and see the moms all ask me, how do I explain to my child that he knows these details from a past life that there's no way he would know them. And we've been able to corroborate them online with historical documents, but this kid can't even read yet. He's three. You know, how does he know? How does he know he was a civil war soldier? He knows where the battle was and what the date was. And there's no way he would know this stuff. And, and you hear about children with imaginary friends and we've always thought, well, Johnny has a really good imagination. Well, actually, Johnny has an imaginary friend that's a spirit. It's just mommy and daddy or, you know, whoever is raising Johnny is not able to see them or or hear them, perhaps. But Johnny can. And uh, and also, it's so confusing to children about when a loved one dies. And I have moms ask me a lot, well, my grandmother died and we told Susie that grandma's in heaven but Susie can plainly see grandma's body in the casket at the funeral home. And we're telling Susie that grandma's grandma's in heaven. And they just, there's no way that I, I don't know what to say to my daughter to help her understand. So I've written a children's picture book and I think adults will learn a lot from it as well. I think the whole book I read has 17 sentences in it, <laughs> but it's very concise, very understandable for, for 
children, uh, small and large and adults and all of them. And the illustrations are just darling. And uh, so it's about angels giving messages to kids that explain all of this stuff. That's amazing. So let me ask you this, which I, and I think this book is so um, necessary and takes away a lot of fear uh, for people and for the kids. Uh, and it, it's a comfort because a child loves a grandparent so much and they can't even imagine that that grandparent's no longer there. So a lot of times a grandparent might say, and I don't know if your book talks about it, but I'm going to protect you. I'll be on the other side or whatever, however that is. And you talk about you're talking about guardian angels and you're mm -hmm. talking about spirit guides. Could you just briefly, Julie, define them for our listeners? Sure. Guardian, and I mentioned this in the children's book, The Guardian Angels. I do an angelic attendance as well, the, the grown-up book. But the the as far as talking with your grandmother, you know, I'll protect you when you and I'll be there and you can talk to me anytime. I address that too that, you know, you, how, how people can talk to their spirits. And it's, you ask them a question in your head or aloud, and it's the first thing that comes in your mind is them answering you. It's a thought because spirits communicate telepathically. And most people discount it because they think, well, that's my brain answering me. Yes, it is your brain if it takes longer than a second mm -hmm. to get an answer. And so the things you remember when communicating with spirit, I mean, is that spirit's really literal. So we want to be very specific and very concise in the questions that we ask. As far as guardian angels go, we're all, we all have a guardian angel comes in with us in every lifetime, stays with the same guardian angels with us throughout all of our lifetimes. And they're just another, another um, friend and helper and, and guide for us, you know, to help us. They, we ask them to help us. They don't intervene. They may, put ideas in our heads that come in as a thought, like maybe I'll Google this, or maybe I'll, I'll look at, I'll look for this book, or maybe that those are all inspirational messages. And, and when you think about that, our human time is a human concoction in spirit world, there is no time. It doesn't exist. So perhaps we live a hundred years and we think that's a long time. Well, it's not even a blip to, spirit world because they're eternal they're eternal and well, sometimes i want to lean back on that if i'm running late for an appointment and say to someone excuse me but on the other side there's no such thing as time <laughs> have yourself but this was five minutes that i'm late <laughs> you're right you're right but but spirit whether it's a spirit guide like a dead pope for me we all have many spirit guides that come in and out actually based on what's going on in our lives but our guardian angel stays with us for our whole life and through all of our lives and is with us on the other side as well, that energy. And the interesting thing is that they're all very patient. You know, there's no, there are no demands. There's no judgment. It just, they, they put ideas into our heads that they think can help us expand and co-create with spirit, with God while we're in human form. And, and it's just, they're, they're, Patience personified is what I perceive. You're truly the expression, a little help from your friends, you know? That's exactly. It's great. great. Well, thanks, Julie. We're going to take a quick break to allow a minute for our sponsors who keep this podcast free for our listeners. We'll be right back. Thanks for tuning in to my Insights Build interview with Julie Ryan. Let's continue on with this question. Julie, how do you communicate with spirits? 
that are at the same time both dead and alive. Are you saying that even though I am alive in my body, you can communicate with my soul that is within my body? How do you do this? And where is a person's soul located? Great question. Uh, yes, I, the answer is yes. I communicate with any spirit alive or deceased, doesn't matter, anywhere, from any time, from any, any era, whatever. Uh, because a spirit is just an, pure energy. Our body's pure energy. Go back to your third grade science lessons, Irene. You know, we <laughs> learned that, that everything is made out of energy. You may be sitting at a big desk that feels very solid, and we know it's just vibrating more slowly than the energy that we're using to talk mm -hmm. today on the Internet. So how I communicate with spirit is I raise my vibrational level to the level of spirit. It takes me a nanosecond. I turn my abilities on and off at will. And I watch a laser beam go from my body, if I'm going to scan somebody, go from my body to the other person who's, who's alive, wherever. And it hooks into their body energetically. So I'm connected into their spirit. And then I shoot energy, like I mentioned, through their body. And it will be as if I'm looking at a, an MRI or an X-ray or a CT scan. If I'm communicating with them telepathically, I don't have to do the laser beam thing. And I, I just think of them or call their name or, um, or, or ask, for instance, if I have a general question and I'm looking for information, then different spirits will send me information telepathically. And again, it's just like a thought that comes into my head. But the, that, that laser that I use to connect into somebody that's alive, it's called a bioplasmic streamer. And that's how we connect. We hear about the cords that we have with our children and our grandchildren. They say, well, he's never cut the cord with his mother. Hopefully we mamas with sons have, they never cut the cord with us, so we're always close to them. But there's plenty of room for the wives and children's cords to commit as well for them. And and so I think that that's how we do it. It's very important when we, for me anyways, and I teach this in my classes to disconnect those cords after we're done scanning somebody because we don't need to stay connected to them energetically. Like, a, like when you plug in a, a USB port to, to do something and then when you're done, you unplug it. Well, it sounds like just like on the earthbound plane, you're respecting boundaries. Oh, absolutely. I won't scan anybody unless I have their permission. Right. Because I believe, yeah, I believe it's, a, it's an invasion of their privacy. And so if somebody says to me, can you scan my child or can you scan my husband? I'll telepathically ask that person's permission. If they give it, I will. And if they don't give it, I won't. Even infants, I won't do it because I believe it's an invasion of their privacy. Frankly, it's none of my business and I don't really want to know. That goes along with it. But yeah, I think you hear about people that are psychics and intuitives and they'll say, okay, that one's got cancer, that one's got whatever. Well, that's, I think that's unethical. I think it's an invasion of their privacy. I agree. I agree with you. And let me ask you this. Is it the soul of that infant whose permission you're asking to do that work? 
Yes. It's, it's the soul. And where is that? And I know where the soul, and we're going to talk about that, where the soul is located when a person is dying. It, where mm -hmm. is the like, soul located in you and in me as we talk to each other? Is it in that same location or is it somewhere else in our bodies? And I think, and that's attached to another question I have, which is, I believe a part of our soul is here and the the most of our soul is back home on the other side. Would you agree with that? I agree that we are in multiple places all at the same time. And I think that's what Einstein's theory of relativity is too, that there are multiple realities happening all at the same time. So yes, I agree with you on that. As far as most of, I think that's trying to understand it from our human perspective. I don't think we can understand it. It's like I'm so, you know, in Kabbalah. It's like, you know, we can't even fathom God and the creator and spirit because we don't have the capacity. We don't have any frame of reference for it in our human minds. It's the unknowable, but it's, we know it's the creator of everything and the source. And so where our spirit is, I was raised 12 years of Catholic schools, Irene, I was raised that the spirit is someplace in the chest area, the spirit of soul, same thing. What I perceive, however, is different. And that is that the body is inside the spirit and the spirit is the power source for the body, which correlates in my mind with, if you look at a religious painting or a picture or a depiction of somebody, whether it's Buddha or the Dalai Lama or saint or a, whoever, Moses, whatever, oftentimes they're depicted with a halo around their head or around their whole body. Right. And I, and I believe the painters of long ago could see that that's their energy field. It's their aura. It's their spirit. And then the body goes inside of that, but it's all holographic. So the, the spirit has this membrane on the outside of it that reminds me of really thin, stretchy saran wrap, plastic wrap. And so that's the container that holds the energy that comprises our body and our spirit. And that's why when somebody dies and their spirit separates from their body, their body doesn't work anymore because it doesn't have a power source. Mm, that's fascinating and, and, you know, really helpful um, for people to understand. So now we're at the meaty part of our interview, Julie. Please explain to okay. us the 12 phases of transition that you have seen when a person is in the process of dying. This is, everyone, you've got to read her book. This is absolutely fascinating. Um, go for it, Julie. Well, as I mentioned that our spirit and our body are all holographic. So as somebody's dying, the spirit separates from the body, but it holds on to the top of the head. And it looks like a bubble configuration, Irene. It, it reminds me of a cartoon caption bubble where the character's words or thoughts are located on a cartoon. And, and as the person gets closer to death, other deceased loved ones, the mother's spirit, their closest maternal spirit who's deceased will be there and their paternal spirit. And it's the mom spirit who runs the show from the spirit world. I found that fascinating. That's because very cool. The girls really, we prevail. <laughs> we rock. We, yeah. All right. Girl power, right? Yeah. Right. But, you know, we think that our that we're done with our duties. Those of us with grown married children, I have a son who's married and I have several stepchildren who are married with kids. Um, we think that our 
you know, our role really is over. And we know it's not, it's never over. But I find it fascinating that we're, we're really helping our children from the other side when they're dying. So they come in first and then, and then there are angels that come in and they form a circle around the person who's dying. And as that person gets closer to death, Irene, that circle opens into a horseshoe and keeps expanding till eventually it's in a straight line. And then many, many, many spirits, hundreds if not thousands of other spirits come and deceased animal spirits are there too, which is really interesting. And they are, I call them the welcome to heaven committee. They're there and they're part of the, the welcome committee, truly, to help someone. The interesting thing about these 12 phases of transition, a couple of things. First of all, everybody goes through all 12 phases, whether it happens instantly, like in the case of a suicide or a homicide, or whether it takes days, weeks, months, years even for somebody to die, these phases can happen. There's a gal that called into my show for two years and her dad was in phase 11 of 12. He was ready to go, but he stayed there for two years. There must so be a reason that, for that from a soul level, I would think. Like that, that's not apparent to us here, like that people have things to finish. That's my guess. Would you say that's well, where am I wrong? Yeah. Yes, we all decide when we go, how we go, who's with us when we go, where we are, what the circumstances are. And and I find that people that take a really long time to go oftentimes are staying back because they want the family to get used to them not being there. It's often, uh, an, for instance, an Alzheimer's patient or somebody that's had some really awful disease and it's strung out over long periods of time and it gives the family a chance to get used to them not being around. My sister-in-law's dad died. He had Alzheimer's and took a long, long time to die. And when I was communicating with him, you know, maybe in year one of him being very close, I said, well, what do you need? You know, why are you still here? What can we do something to help you? And he said, no, I just want to give my wife the opportunity to get used to my not being around because she's never lived alone. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, when we got married, she lived at home with her family because we had just gotten out of college. And then we've always lived together. So she's never lived by herself. And she's 87 years old, but she's never lived by herself. So by him being in a facility and her going and seeing him and spending time with him every day in the facility, it gave her the opportunity to ease into what it was like for her to be by herself. Interesting. And so other people are yeah. like, it's enough already, and they don't understand there is some kind of an agenda with the, the person oh, yeah. dying on the way Always. out. Always. And, so, Always. and when you see angels, what do they look like so people can understand? Are they really what we have in pictures with the wings and the whole thing? Or does it change depending on your orientation? Or how do you see them, Julie? They look like what they look like in the statues to me. Big, big wings, white, long gown, belted at the waist with a rope, bare feet, you know, the whole nine yards. But that's just how they appear to me, Irene, so that I know who they are. It's, it's an angelic energy. Somebody raised in a different culture may see an angel as a purple blob of energy or as a, you know, as, a, as an entity with 
a tail and horns that's red. <laughs> it's just, there, there, there's all kinds of interpretations. The funny thing about angels and also other spirits is that they show up to me in a way so I can recognize them. And spirit guides always show up to me looking like a version of Father Time. <laughs> Dumbledore in the Harry Potter movies or right. Gandalf in the Lord of the Rings movies. And then when we talk with them, they morph into looking like what they looked like in the lifetime that corresponds with what they're advising the person that they're, you know, working with, what they're advising them in this, this lifetime. So that can be anything from, gosh, uh, uh, vision of somebody in caveman days to the Middle Ages to the 1960s to whatever. Yeah. It's just fascinating to see how they work. But it, it, they always show up in a way that's going to allow me to figure out who they are. Well, it's the same thing. Like I often hear uh, stories when people, when mediums are able to communicate with our deceased loved ones and often our deceased loved ones don't come through. Uh, from what I understand, they don't always come through unless they're trying to show how they died and all as this older person. Sometimes they come through in the prime of their life or in a way that you can more easily identify them. Correct? That's, that's the latter. It's the latter for me. They'll come through how I can identify them and describe them to uh, the person, you know, who is their loved one that's still living. But they always come through. I think the difference is a lot of mediums will... Say, well, let's see who's around you. What I do is, who do you want to talk to when we call them in? Whether it's a deceased loved one, or you want to talk to Einstein, or Mother Teresa, or Napoleon, or Moses, or you know whomever, it doesn't matter. They'll always come in immediately as soon as we call them, and they uh, they know our deceased loved ones, especially in our spirit guides. It works both ways. You can call them in and then you may be doing something random like the dishes or folding laundry or something. And you think of maybe your deceased grandmother. That's just letting them know that you're there. You're picking up on their energy because they're there with you. That's fascinating. So you have an amazing, another amazing story about a dying man who hung on till his daughter mailed his taxes. Would you like to share that with us? <laughs> that is so fun, isn't it? Hi, I was working with this woman. Yeah, and her dad was very elderly. He was a retired dentist, and he was hanging on, hanging on in the hospital for two weeks. I mean, it was like enough already. Okay, we're ready to go. So she was calling me, saying, "What? What's going on? You know, what can we do?" And he kept saying, "Have her mail my quarterly estimated taxes." And she kept blowing it off, and she kept saying, "No." gosh, I'm not going to do that. And so finally, one day she was just exasperated and she said, okay, what does he need? And I said, so I asked him and so they're in another city, Irene, I'm communicating with her on the phone, a regular phone. And then I'm, com I'm communicating telepathically with her father, who's in the, you know, in the hospital, in the ICU, hanging on after they've removed him from life support. And he said, have her, I'll have her mail my quarterly estimated taxes. So she was started to, to resist. And I said, just go do it. What do you have to lose at this point? And so she said, I don't even know where they are. So I asked him, it was like a conference call, you know, a spiritual conference call. I'm on the phone with her and I'm doing woo-woo conference call with him. And he said, they're in my desk, in my bedroom, something like middle drawer on the left. 
I said, just go to his home and look for him and see what you find. So she did. Sure enough, Irene, they were in there. They were addressed. The stamps were on them. He had signed them. They were filled out. The check was there. She dropped him in the mailbox on her way back to the hospital, and he died shortly thereafter. Wow. 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 That's amazing. And now I have to that's a great story. And what is a walk to heaven? And could you please tell us your story about the nun who needed three walks to heaven? Sure. Sure. <laughs> walk, walk to heaven is a lot of people are so afraid to die because in our Western culture in particular, we've been so conditioned over the millennia, Irene, and every religion, every culture that when you die, you're either going to fly or you're going to fry, one or the other. And so people are afraid to die. Certainly there are lots of books about near-death experiences and the afterlife and and I, the stages of grief, but there really isn't much out there about what's happening as we're dying. And that people are afraid of that. I mean, what's going to happen? And so that's what my book addresses. So to answer your question, I, I will go through this exercise with people who are dying and I will join their spirit and I'll walk them through this process. It's like a dress rehearsal of what's going to happen when they actually, when their spirit and their body separate so that it's not so scary for them. And we, we go through this journey and we end up at the pearly gates and the pearly gates to me look like this big, huge, whitish yellowish plasma wall there's no top or bottom there are no sides and we go through it and as soon as we go through it it's like a plasma screen you've probably seen those screens somebody will touch it and they go out in ripples like when you throw a stone in a lake and then it you there's no trace of it and so we walk through that screen that wall heavenly wall and on the other side are their deceased loved ones waiting for them and so it gives them peace and then I'll walk them. We'll walk backwards and we'll walk through all the phases of that. And then I'll reattach their spirit to their body and I'll put my spirit back attached to my body. So there was this elderly nun who was so afraid to die. And I find this a lot, Irene, that people who are in the religion business, you know, the, the rabbis and the, the clergy and the pastors and the whatever, they can, they can bring a lot of comfort to their flocks and their congregation, but when it's their time, they're afraid, kind of like, is this stuff I've been espousing really true? Is it real? And, and so this nun, she would be the last person you would expect. She was in her 90s, and she was afraid to die. So we did several walks to heaven. I think we did three. And the first one, she was very decrepit and holding on to me with her walker. And then the second one, she stood up a little bit straighter. And the third one, she just kind of flung her walker over her shoulder and walked back like she was 20. And then she died shortly thereafter. I had, I did this with somebody yesterday or not yesterday, Friday, Irene, and uh, a couple of days ago. And, and her grandmother was, was afraid to die. She was 95. She wasn't even in any of the phases of transition yet. But the, my client was saying, my grandma's ready to go. She tells us every day I'm ready to go, all of that. And so we did the walk to heaven with her just to help her see what was going to be coming, forthcoming. 
and we got on the other side of the wall and her family was standing there. There was the energy of a Shetland pony, Irene. And, and I, so I asked my client, I said, did your grandmother have a Shetland pony that you know of? And there were other animals there too, but the pony really stood out. I don't see ponies very often on the other side of heaven. And she later emailed me and she said, I called my mom and sure enough, they had a Shetland pony the whole time my grandmother was growing up and the pony's name was Macaroni or something. I forget oh what it was, but wow. it was validation. Yes, that's really fun when we get that kind of information. And that was so random. You know, there's this Shetland pony's energy waiting for her on the other side of the pearly gate. For well, she must she have been very kind to that Shetland pony. Oh, you know? yes. And yes. Uh, that pony was there to greet her and support her. That's fantastic. And I've been... Uh, in situations where I was once in a seance where five gerbils came through for somebody. And that was, whoa, gerbils? And the, and the one who said, yes, my husband had five deceased gerbils. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that's cool. <laughs> well, oftentimes, oftentimes the, when the spirits show up both in this reality and on the other side when they get there, they're, they're holding infants. And, uh, and oftentimes they're infants of miscarried babies that the person who's dying, if it's a woman or her spouse, they didn't even know that they miscarried, but there will be the spirits of those miscarried babies there. And I find that really fascinating. And one woman said, I told her, I said, there's, there are three baby spirits. She had six kids and at her husband's funeral, I said, there are three baby spirits that are there with him. And oh. After the funeral, she asked one of her daughters, she said, did your dad have a girlfriend on the side with other kids that I don't know about? <laughs> <laughs> and she said it as a joke. Well, we figured what we did was we identified the baby and two of them were miscarriages that the wife had. And then one was a miscarried grandchild whose spirit was there with him, which I think is so sweet. It's sweet and it's also comforting. Because people yeah. see when they miscarry, but that child really, for whatever reason, didn't come through, but they are with them and they're on the other side. Yeah, they're spirits. Absolutely. And and it's said that, that most women will miscarry and we have no clue because it's so early on. And we just think we're having a period, but it's really a miscarriage, but we just don't know it. Yeah, that's fascinating. Julie, what's the, how is it helpful for someone to know about their past lives? Well, it's fascinating. It's really fun, first of all, but because we'll get data and information about years and times and what they were doing, oftentimes we'll get names and we can corroborate the information we get with historical information, like I was telling about with little children that's, ad that's addressed in my Angel Messages for Kids book. But uh, I think it's helpful because there's a general theme that can go through multiple lifetimes. And it's, it's a basic script that I see repeat, Irene. It reminds me, and a good analogy would be the Star is Born movie that was out last fall with Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. Mm -hmm. that, that was the fourth remake of that movie. Same script different timeline, different cast of characters, different setting, but same script. And that's what I see with multiple lifetimes is we'll have a script maybe that we want to uh, explore betrayal. And maybe in 1912, your 
in business in Paris and you're betrayed by a business partner. And then in this current life, you're betrayed by a lover. So it's still the basic general premise of betrayal, but you're looking at it from a different vantage point, different timeline, certainly oftentimes different sex, different set of circumstances, but the same basic premise, betrayal. So you learned until you get it. So you get yeah. It. Well, yeah, I think we expand. I believe we expand in every one of our adventures in every lifetime. And so we just keep expanding and keep building on, okay, well, I saw what it felt like and I experienced what it was like to be betrayed by my business partner in the in 1912. And now I'm exploring what it's like to be betrayed by my lover in 2019. And maybe next time I'll explore what it's like to be the lover who's doing the betraying. Mm. So it's all different nuances of the same basic premise. And then when we're done with that, and then we pick something else to explore. Learn it to work on. Yeah, interesting. Mm -hmm. Now, what about people who commit evil? So you're like you're saying in the 12 phases of transition, okay? Most people go, it's the same kind of scenario. And it doesn't matter if it's a sudden death or whatever. But now this person's been a really not good person. They get to the other side. I don't think there's any Helen Brimstone, but do you know anything about what happens to these people um, who yeah. are so savory? <laughs> right. Well, and I think the person that comes to mind certainly in this day and age is Hitler. Hitler's the first one that everybody says, well, what happens to a Hitler? Right. Everybody's spirit is pure love and light, Irene, pure limitless love. And all of that is uh, all of that personality that we see of somebody who's evil stays with the body when somebody dies. It's as if we're playing a character in a script. And so it's hard for us to wrap our heads around that in our humanness because we just think, how can that be? But to spirit, nothing is good or bad. Nothing is right or wrong. It's just an experience. We humans judge things as right or wrong or good or bad. So when somebody is experiencing something that's horrific, certainly like the Holocaust, we look at that as, okay, those, those Nazis are going to just fry in hell. But, but spirit just sees it as an experience and expanding out. So perhaps in a previous lifetime or in a subsequent lifetime, those spirits are the persecuted or they are the wife of, the husband of, the daughter of, the friend of, the whatever. And so it's just, again, back to that many, we live many, many lifetimes, hundreds, if not thousands or more, where we're looking at different nuances of different things to explore. Because in the spirit world, what I've been, been told is that many, many times over the years is that we think of something and it's immediately created. Like we have, you know, we think of something, it's instant, it's there. Whereas in human form, we create, we're here to co-create. So spirit sees everything just as an experience. And every experience is leading us into expansion and it's all for our benefit. Even something that we look at that's horrific, for instance, the Boston Marathon bombing. You know, we look at that as horrific, that, that they used pressure cookers to injure all those people. But when you look at it from a broader perspective, Irene, Boston's strong. You know, Boston was fractured. There were different parts of the city that brought that city together. Mm -hmm. So, you know, all of that, certainly 
there are many instances throughout history where we could see that there were benefits long term. The Holocaust is a great example where where we we are all uh, in the civilized world committed to making sure that that's never going to happen again. Mm-hmm. And so there's something good that expands that comes out of every situation. Which is that answer your to, question? Yeah, it's hard to imagine that, but it's um, but it makes sense to me. Uh, so in other words, so, so perhaps Hitler came back to be tortured and to experience the opposite of what he did in this lifetime as a soul, as a lesson for him. Exactly. Or maybe he was tortured before, or maybe, I mean, gosh, it's endless. The, you know, the different possibilities. I don't know that there's a computer that can figure out that algorithm. Right. And that's for certainly for another time, but let me ask you this. Do you have a message about the importance of healing to share with our listeners, Julie? And can you talk about the different types of healing? Can you be more specific about that? You mean energetic healing versus medical well, healing? Like, versus... What you do, you, you help people heal physically. You help people mm-hmm. heal physically. You help people heal emotionally. There are people mm-hmm. who say, why do I need to do this? Why do I need to go out of my way to know all this about myself? On a soul level, isn't that beneficial to the person as they evolve? Would you say a person should care about trying to heal their stuff and to grow uh, in this lifetime? Well, I think we all expand whether we choose to investigate uh, energetic healing or any kind of healing or psychotherapy or whatever. It's everybody's path. And however anybody chooses to go down that path is fine. I think that when we can stay neutral, stay in Switzerland, I tell people stay in Switzerland, we stay (laughs) neutral. And when we see somebody that's doing something that we know is detrimental to their health, for instance, like my brother who has had cancer, but drinks several diet Cokes a day, Mm -hmm. I'm saying, what are you doing? Even to the point where my parents' spirits showed up and said him, tell him to start drink, stop drinking diet pop. I grew up in Ohio. They call it soda pop, pop. And, he, and I, said to, I said to them, well, I don't think he drinks pop. And they said, oh, yes, he does. So I called him and I said, do you drink a lot of pop? And he said, yeah, usually three or four a day, but it's diet. And I said, well, your parents want you to stop. So we have this running joke. And I look at that and I think, you know, that is one of the number one things that somebody with cancer that they tell them to stop is the artificial sweeteners. But he chooses to do that. So that's his prerogative to choose to do that. Likewise, on the other side of the coin, I live in Birmingham, Alabama. There are people I've met here who have smoked since they were five years old or chewed tobacco or something. You know, I mean, country people, not in the cities, but certainly a relative of somebody. And they're 104 and they eat bacon grease three meals a day and they're eating all this stuff that we think is really detrimental. And you know what? They are chugging along and they're happy as a clam. Wow. So I, I think it's, everybody's path and it does it's for us to just pay attention to how we feel about what we're doing and and accept how other people are are choosing to explore this reality this round mm-hmm. well maybe part of the path of healing is acceptance uh, for people oh absolutely and, and to know that you can make your own different choices julie absolutely. you're amazing how can our listeners connect with you because i'm sure they all want to <laughs> oh thanks right back at you babe you're Thank as amazing you. too 
uh, askjulieryan.com, askjulieryan.com. And you can have access to my podcast there. They're on lots and lots of networks, dozens of networks, anywhere you download podcasts. You can find it. I'm on Alexa. I'm on YouTube. You can find um, links to my books there. They're available in libraries. They're available, of course, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Apple Books, all of that. Um, the children's book is not an audio book, Irene, but it's in, it's going to be in digital and in paperback. And then the other book is paperback and digital and audio book, The Angelic Attendance. And well, you can schedule a great. session. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. I was no, just everything, they're both great stocking stuffers, to say the least. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thanks. Yeah. They're, everything's at Ask Julie Ryan. You can access whatever you need there. And I... And I do a weekly call-in show on Thursday nights where people call in from all over. And it's so much fun because they'll ask love life question. You know, can you scan my cat? Can I talk to my dead uh, grandmother? Can you scan me? Can whatever, past life, angels. It's just all across the board. And it's really fun. We have a ball on that show. That must be so fascinating. And Julie, what is your tip for finding joy in life? Stay in Switzerland. Stay neutral. <laughs> stay in Switzerland. Stay neutral. neutral. Yeah, really, really. If we stay neutral and we know that that everything's unfolding perfectly, we're going to experience a lot of joy. And and when we feel bad, that's our spirit saying to us, Irene, "Hey, you're out of alignment." Because spirit vibrates at a high level, which is love. And all negative emotion that we experiences all fear based. So when we experience a negative emotion, we are out of alignment. And so if we can go back to Switzerland, like if we're judging somebody, stay neutral on that and know that when you feel badly, you're out of alignment. So change your perspective. Know that it's unfolding perfectly and it's benefiting you, even if you can't see it at that moment. Right. Okay. So keep, or as they would say, keep the faith. Exactly. Keep the faith. Julie, what you see and sense helps to comfort people who are caring for a dying loved one, while at the same time, you help them to understand their place in this world and the bigger picture of life in the next. Your remarkable and informative book, Angelic Attendance, What Really Happens as We Transition from This Life into the Next, is sure to comfort and enlighten its readers, as is your new book, Angel Messages for Kids. I just want to thank you from my heart for an absolutely wonderful interview today. And here's a reminder, everyone, that you can see the full show notes and all Grief and Rebirth podcast episodes on IreneWeinberg.com. And make sure to follow us and like us on social at Irene S. Weinberg on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Thanks again for joining us. And as I like to say, to be continued, many blessings. And bye for now.